0: Walking through the double doors onto the red-carpeted floor of Currigan Hall, I started to tear up a little bit. The room brimmed with late-afternoon Colorado sun pouring in through the windows above, but it was the sight before me that stopped me cold. A series of circumstances collided to bring me to this moment in late September. I was 21 years old, and this was my first beer festival. I hadn't planned on attending a beer event when I booked my trip to visit a friend in Denver, but she knew I was interested in what was then known as microbrews, and suggested we hit up a beer event that was happening downtown that night. So we walked up, bought tickets day of, and walked into the hall. Whether it was good fortune, serendipity, destiny, or whatever mystical predisposition you want to attach to it, the Great American Beer Festival was a defining moment in my personal craft beer journey. In the days before craft beer became omnipresent, the festival opened my eyes to hundreds of craft breweries I had never known even existed. I drank Hefeweizen's from Texas, Pale ales from California, and yes, brown ales from just about everybody else. It was a transformative moment for me. I was amazed that such a diversity of flavorful beer and a community of passionate brewers existed in this country. It was a party filled with people just happy to be there. And it was all held in downtown Denver, a city I would come to visit dozens of times in the years since. Denver holds a special place in my heart. I've watched as the local beer scene has grown and then exploded. With dozens and dozens of new breweries cropping up in parts of town that didn't even really exist, such as Rhino. Denver has long had a formidable beer scene, but today it is one of the country's best. And on this second episode of Beer Travelers, we're going to talk with two local experts Tristan Chan of Porch Drinking and Jonathan Shikes of the Denver Post. These two are as knowledgeable as they come, and as we'll hear, they are full of advice for planning your visit to the Mile High City. Stay tuned at the end of the episode. For my personal favorite suggestion for Denver. And here's a hint it's the perfect place for a nightcap or to end your trip. In this episode of Beer Travelers, we discuss all that the city has to offer. But first, a quick word from our sponsors Why take a vacation when you can beer cation instead? Explore the world one pint at a time and join Pub Culture Beer Cations for one of our upcoming group tours, like Going Dutch Beer in the Netherlands, with award winning Dutch beer and travel writer Tim Skelton. As the author of Beer in the Netherlands and Around Amsterdam and 80 Beers, join Tim April 29th through May 11th, 2023, for 11 beery nights as he explores the sights, history, culture, and beer of this often overlooked beercation destination. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. So let's start our trip to Denver, Colorado with Tristan Chan and Jonathan Shikes. So welcome to the second episode of the Beer Travelers podcast. And today I'm very excited that we get to go back to one of my favorite beer cities, uh, and that is Denver, Colorado. Uh, I think arguably it's one of the, the world's great beer cities, and it's certainly at least once a year is the center of the beer universe, and it's about to be that again with the upcoming Great American Beer Festival. So I have two fantastic guests uh, with me today, and I'll have them introduce themselves. We'll start with Tristan. Hey there. Uh, my name
1: is Tristan Chan. I'm the founder of porchdrinking.com. We're a national craft beer publication with writers all across the country. And uh, we really love focusing on, you know, tremendous stories from the craft beer industry. And then we'll move on to Jonathan. Hi, uh, my name is Jonathan Shikes. I am the uh, features editor at
2: the Denver Post and the former uh, longtime beer writer for Westward newspaper here in town. Um, I'm also the author of a history book um, about Denver beer uh, and the history of Mile High Brewing.
0: And the two of you are excellent sources for to help guide us on our on our tours and our travels through through denver but just to start off jonathan you literally wrote the book on the subject you know how would you characterize you know the denver beer scene and and how it has changed over over time i you know for my background the first beer festival I ever went to was the Great American Beer Festival. I just happened to be in town uh, when it was going on. And a friend of mine I was visiting said, Hey, there's some sort of beer event. You're into it. You know, let's go over there. And I my mind was blown by, and, and that really started my craft beer experience. And then I went for about 20 years in a row. And in that time, I've seen Denver change from, you know, sort of a small beer scene to one that just exploded, you know, geographically and in styles. It's an amazing city. You know, how would you characterize the scene and, and, and how much it's changed?
2: You know, interestingly, Denver was actually a, a pretty terrible beer town um, for a long time. Uh, it, uh, we are right next to Golden and, you know, Coors just dominated, um, dominated everything, bars and restaurants uh, here for, for decades, um, and so craft beer got its foot in the door, but uh, it, w- it was actually harder in Denver than it was in places, uh, other Colorado towns like Fort Collins and Boulder um, for this, for the scene to develop. But it, um, we did have some old school breweries here for a long time, uh, Windcoop and Breckenridge and, and Great Divide and some others. And then things just exploded in, in uh, starting in about 2010 Um uh, the city of Denver got Strange Craft Beer Company, which was uh, the first tap room only brewery that we had had uh, before that. It had been brew pubs um, and or you know, packaging breweries, and uh, since then uh, it's just taken off. There are, and just in the city itself, there are seventy, maybe seventy five craft breweries here. Um, from up from, I think it was eight or nine. Um, in 2010. So um, and bars here now, you know, you have to have handles of graft of on that wasn't that wasn't the case or even close to it uh, for, for a long time.
0: The 2010. Yeah, I would I would agree that 2010 is really when things changed, because it seemed like, you know, I started coming to the GA, you know, to Denver and the GABF, you know, I hate to say it, but in 19, basically when I turned 21, so yeah, I'm not going to do the math on it, but we'll just say it was, it was some time ago, but it wasn't for, you know, a few years. Like you said, 2010, every year I'd come, there may be one or two new openings, you could go to those, you could go to your old favorites. But right around 2010, you start seeing five or 10 new breweries a year open up. And you try to make it to those new breweries, but you couldn't do it anymore. You couldn't come, you couldn't actually visit the city and, and get to all those. And that's when you know Renegade and Crooked Stave and some of these others that I'm sure we'll discuss. Um is, you know, it's just almost a loss for words for just how many places there are, but you know, how you know how did the tap room model change you know the Denver beer scene
2: uh you know it it, it changed it significantly it just um people here didn't realize that you could uh, sell a pint of beer over the counter um, in a tap room without serving food uh the people understood the law to be uh to that it didn't allow that so when they figured that out um breweries, uh, people who had wanted to open breweries or people who didn't know they wanted to open breweries all started, uh, jumping in and they followed the lead of, of strange craft. And, um, I think in 2011, there were four or five that opened. And, um, uh, since then it's created an entire culture, uh, around these breweries that is not just about the beer, but is about, uh, Food trucks. That is about the neighborhoods where they are. That's about, um, in some ways, the activities that they have there, the the kind of um, charities and nonprofits that they interact with and that they donate to. And there are so many different tap rooms now um, with different styles of beer, with different feels to them. That I think um, hopefully almost everyone can find a place where they can hang out and um, at their you know their local tap room, their local brewery.
0: Tristan, you are not, you're not originally from the Denver area and you, as you said, you are the, you're the founder of Porch Drinking, which is a a great website that, that covers not just beer in Denver and Colorado, but, you know, further afield. Um, And congratulations, by the way, on 10 year anniversary for that site, which is a heck of an achievement. When you moved to Denver, what was your impression of the beer scene? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny.
1: I moved out here from Kentucky in 2009, so I was fortunate enough to, to be part of that big boom that uh, Jonathan mentioned uh, around 2010. Um, You know, when I moved out here, craft beer was still a bit of a novelty. And uh, I remember uh, when, when my friend uh, who lived in Denver first kind of introduced me to Great Divide, we would belly up to that tiny little tap room in the ballpark neighborhood nearly every Friday. And so um, I think to echo what Jonathan was saying, it was a shift from going to our neighborhood bar every week to going to our neighborhood tap room, uh, brewery tap room every week. And so um, I, I think craft beer very much embodies the spirit that he, he was talking about of becoming a community gathering place, you know, for for nonprofits, for, you know, trivia nights to, um, you know, special tappings. You know, we got to know our bartenders, kind of like our, like we knew our neighborhood bar bartenders. But it was more now so our beer tenders. And so, um, you know, I think we're, we've now seen that you don't necessarily need to be a large regional brewery to survive. In fact, in many cases, small neighborhood breweries are are very much succeeding in their own right because they've cultivated this tightly knit community um, with special programming and um, you know mug clubs and whatnot. And you you really have a loyal base of people who really appreciate breweries for for what they are and, and whatever different and unique identities that they've cultivated.
0: And so, for visitors to Denver, if you haven't been there before, how would you you know how would you describe how the city is laid out? Um, you know, for me, it, it's a it's kind of an interesting town. Uh, and you know, for a long time, beer was maybe just in a particular area. You'll hear a lot of. Sort of acronyms or, or shortened versions like Lodo and Rhino and things like that. You know, you know, Tristan, how do you, how do you describe the the city to folks in terms of of how that how it's laid out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you, what you mentioned there is is very much true. You know, you have very distinctive neighborhoods, um, but even more so now, it's becoming a lot more homogenous. Um, you know, obviously, Rhino um, is going to be probably the most notable neighborhood with. I believe, I don't know if this is still the case, but the most breweries per kind of capita in one neighborhood in a, in a one mile radius, um, you know, at, within just a, a half mile block, you can hit probably a close to 10 or 12 breweries nowadays. It's absolutely nuts.
0: It's just great. Yeah. Cra- it's crazy
1: Yeah, for well, a neighbor. And what was that neighborhood like 10 years ago? Oh, it it was sleepy. So, you know, I was, I was uh, fortunate enough to work for Ratio Beer Works. um, And they, when they first opened, uh, there was a fear that they had opened too far down uh, Larimer Street in Rhino, that uh, the owners were afraid that people wouldn't actually walk that far. Nowadays, you literally, you know, walking through Rhino, it's just, it feels like you're in one of the densest like parties, party neighborhoods in the country. And so um they're not only breweries, but also, you know, all kinds of different bars right across from ratio is one of the most prolific beer bars in the city. Uh, I saw just yesterday, they announced that they had, uh, Cantillon on tap, um, you know, uh, all sorts of rare beers tapping in, in addition to their incredible mezcal and bourbon, uh, selection. So, you know, there really is something for everyone. And, and I think one of the things that makes the city of Denver, you know, that makes the Denver beer scene so unique is that instead of on the East and West coast that are so well known for their IPAs, Denver in and of itself has transformed into this, um, this beer scene that is prolific in all sorts of different styles. You have some of the best barrel aged stout producers in the, in the world. You have some of the best lager producers, some of the best IPA producers and, 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 and some of the best sour and and wild producers all in one city. And so you really can find a little something for everyone.
0: Jonathan, you have covered this city beer wise for, for quite some time for multiple publications and now at the Denver post, you what is your perspective in terms of its, its development and, you know, it's almost its geographic expansion too? Because as we've talked about, you know, there was handfuls at one point and I felt like at some point Sandlot, you know, in the ballpark was about as far, you know, out as you could ever go. That felt like the end of the earth whenever you were there for GABF, And now the town has just exploded with beer, you know, in all directions
2: yeah the um it's it's nice to see breweries when they locate when um, and tap rooms when they locate in neighborhoods where maybe there isn't that much um, of it going on um, and even beer bars when they come in and and uh, and and there's not that much going on. Um, Denver is uh, almost unrecognizable in a lot of ways uh, for me. Um, I was born here, I spent most of my life here and and um, uh, in the you know since um, since I started. Uh, writing about beer, and since I started at westward in in two thousand and seven, uh, the changes that have um, that have happened, the the development that's taken place, the changes in demographics, the the number of people who live here um uh has really taken off and and that's part of the reason why why beer has taken off with it um and things have um things just evolved uh you know quite a bit in terms of the neighborhoods where where people want to spend time um the city now is getting so is so packed that it's um in some ways you know it's getting hard to it's getting hard to live it's getting hard to find housing here um for a lot of people and so they're they're moving to the to different places around the suburbs and and i think uh you know i think maybe the fun is going to follow them out there um i think that's the same thing may happen with um with tap rooms and restaurants uh who want to follow their customer base and who are also in some ways uh, getting a little bit priced out of the city um but there's enough room on the on the outskirts i think for uh for things to um to spread out and, and to make them all happy
0: Jonathan if there was you, you you mentioned sort of you know how you know, housing is is just exploded and it is it's almost a a singular design you see these very modern modular kind of kind of housing um and you know the city is obviously has a, always had a lot of transplants or attracted transplants who are interested in skiing or the mountains but that seems to have just absolutely exploded in the last decade or so you know i just know personally you know dozens of people who have have moved you know to denver um and a lot of them, kind of like you said, your Rhino and and you know these particular areas attract a lot of folks. But what is one neighborhood you know that folks from out of town who are coming into Denver you know should visit that they that they might otherwise miss? That that's a good question. I
2: mean, coming into you know coming into town, Rhino and downtown are are probably the first places that everyone goes. Um, South Broadway is is um, uh, is very much a locals uh, scene, I think, uh, if you do, if you're coming into town and, and you're doing your research, you'll probably find out about it pretty quickly, but, um, and South Broadway extends, uh, pretty far, but the number of bars and restaurants and clubs and breweries down there, um, are plenty of fun to go to. Um, there are, uh, you know, there are other neighborhoods in town that are close to downtown. Five Points is, is, um, gets new, um, Gets new attention all the time, which is a neighborhood just off. Uh, it, it actually makes it's actually overlapping with uh, with Rhino, which is the the River North River North Arts District, um, and those neighborhoods are spreading east. Um, you can you can get from one side of the town of town to the other now. You can ride your bike and uh, and hit a couple of breweries uh, uh and or tap rooms along the way. Two of my um, the favorites that are not in neighborhoods where you might have expected them are uh, a brewery called Cohesion Beer, um, and that's, uh, it's just east of that Five Points neighborhood. And there's a taproom called Ephemeral Taproom that, um, that opened um, near uh, our, our largest park, which is called City Park, and uh, they serve uh, 20 to 25 beers all from one brewery. And they keep it there for a couple of weeks and then the, and then it turns over and they go on to the next brewery so that's a that's a really interesting spot as well
0: interesting for you what's what's a neighborhood that folks should you know shouldn't sleep on that they might otherwise miss
1: yeah i think in denver itself uh tennyson street uh is is kind of a very unique part of the town um you know hop hops and pie is one of the iconic uh beer bars that still has survived um over the past decade um, not only do they have an incredible draft list um, that features some of the best beer in the country and sometimes from out of this out of the country, um, they also have an incredible pizza program. Um, they just uh, kind of transitioned and added a donut program uh, that opens up in the mornings. Uh, but then along that street, you also have uh, uh call to arms brewing, uh, which makes it, you know, a wide breadth of styles. You have Flight Co beer. Um, you have, uh, the Emporium, uh, and then just, you know, kind of nearby, you also have gold spot. Um, so that, that area has really transformed in in the past few years. And then I would also say, you know, surrounding the city of Denver, you know, worth kind of a, a short drive, you know, just up the road to, uh, Lafayette and Longmont, you have an incredible breadth of breweries that are kind of technically within the Boulder County area, um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, um, you have Avery, which is kind of an iconic brewery that that has been around for so long. You have newer newer kind of, uh, a newer class of breweries in Liquid Mechanics, um, uh, Cellar West, uh, Four Noses, uh, you know, Westbound and Down just opened up an additional location over there. Um, Primitive Beer, um, all of those are really transforming that Boulder County uh, beer scene into something that's very formidable and worth the day trip up, up uh, north.
0: We've talked a little bit uh, on this podcast about kind of these, these icons and, you know, Denver is one of those great towns that, you know, really does have these kind of iconic older brands that helped establish not just Denver beer, but beer in the U S you know, Jonathan, what's your perspective on, you know, how some of these OG players like Wincoop and great divide are, are kind of navigating the modern beer world.
2: Yeah, with with varying degrees of of, uh, of success, you know, I think that uh, some of the older breweries, the word that they that they use and that other people use is is relevancy and and whether they can continue to to be relevant to what people want. Wincoup um, Wincoup uh, Brewing Company, which um, was uh, co-founded and, and co-owned by uh, our uh, mayor, then governor, then senator uh, John Hickenlooper. Um, you know, was was one of the originals. It opened in 1988 in, in a neighborhood where there was nothing but um, but empty warehouses, and um, they're they're now in the middle of it. But um, they're not uh, they're not a place I don't know I don't think that gets that gets highly you know recommended as a place to go to anymore as a brewery. Mm-hmm. They've still got a brewing program. They have a great brewer there, um, but they haven't they haven't uh, they've tried a couple times to 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 make some changes. Uh, but they've gone back to what has uh, worked for them and what is sort of tried and true for them. Um, so for them, that's, you know, they're, they're still a brew that gets a lot of business, um, but they're not a place that's talked about, I don't think, you know, by, by, by beer lovers. Um, Great Divide is, is maybe a little bit of a different story. They, uh, um, they opened in 1994 and they've, uh, they have done a good job more recently. They were very slow to change and they, they suffered for it. Um, significantly in terms of sales, um, but they, uh, Great Divides uh, tried to tried to push forward with a huge expansion that didn't work out for them. Um, it, uh, it, 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 and it really hurt them, but they had bought some land and they managed to stay in business. They didn't have to go the route that some of the other OGs did, which was to to sell themselves like um, Breckenridge Brewery or, mm-hmm. or um, and they were able to, uh, Uh, they were able to kind of rebound and refocus and focus on the kind of beers that people are interested in, in drinking now. And they've tried to remake themselves a couple of times. And I I think they're succeeding uh, in, in doing that. Um, Breckenridge was also here. Breckenridge obviously sold uh, to, uh, to AB InBev. So they went, um, they went that route. Um, So, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of different things have happened to some of those OG folks
0: and you you can't really talk about denver without talking about a couple of other icons you know one of them you know you really can't you have to give space to a legacy place like falling rock you know falling rock is one of these classic if not the classic american beer bar it was at the literally the center you know, if you could say Denver is the center of the beer universe for, you know, one week in late September, early October every year for the Great American Beer Festival, Falling Rock was that beating heart. And, you know, unfortunately, last year uh, it closed. You know, you know, for, you know, Tristan, for those who never went, how would you describe Falling Rock to people and its role uh, in the city and even the nation's beer culture?
1: Yeah, even dating back to when I was living in Kentucky, I still remember reading in, in draft magazine about this iconic beer bar that, that really gathered, you know, some of the best beer drinkers in the world, but also some of the best beers in the world. Um, you know, they had their iconic GABF countdown timer so that, you know, every year you, you could track how how many days and how many minutes were, were left until the Great American Beer Fest uh, came back to the city. Um, you know, it, it's located right in the ball. It was located right in the ballpark district, um, and so that that kind of geographic location was tremendous in its proximity to the to the convention center. Um, Chris Black, uh, the founder, was uh, you know so uh, thoughtful in, in, in bringing in incredible beers from all around the world um, at, at such an early time, and so I think its legacy was just like this incredible beer program incredible location and and great programming for, uh, you know, some of the bigger beer events that happen throughout the year. Now, you know, sadly, it wasn't able to survive, I think, a number of different factors in the pandemic and also rising cost of uh, rent. Um, But, you know, luckily, it seems like Chris has been able to kind of keep that legacy alive a little bit by partnering up with the new brewery that just opened up out here in Mobcraft Beer. They're actually transitioning all of their previous programming during GABF week to Mobcraft. And so they're going to have several of uh, you know, the familiar uh week or nightly events that that used to take place during GABF are now going to be happening at Mobcraft, which is in the Curtis Park uh neighborhood, just uh just outside of Rhino. And so you'll have kind of a um a showcase of of hop hop uh throwdown, uh which features some of the hot best hoppy beer producers in the country. Um you'll also have you know, um, you know, uh, a ex- night featuring some of the uh, more more exotic beers in in the world, um, and and Chris Black has you know done a lot to try to keep that legacy alive. So I'm really excited to see how you know that transition works out. Um, it is you know pretty sad we've lost a number of different. Uh, iconic beer bars, uh, including uh, fr- fresh, uh, fresh Craft and Falling Rock, and um, but you know we're we're very fortunate in that there's just a massive beer scene and brewery scene that keeps you know the beating heart of of the craft beer scene in, in Colorado very much alive.
0: And Jonathan, if you were going to write a eulogy for Falling Rock, uh, you know basically what would it be? What did what did that place mean to you? What did it mean to you know the city of Denver and its beer?
2: Yeah, um, Falling Rock was the place, was the first stop and, you know, sometimes the last stop for people who come into town to, to, to drink beer. Um, it was the bar that served beer when almost no one else was, that served craft beer when almost no one else was. It introduced people in Denver not just to breweries, in their own state that they may not have known existed from the new Belgians and the, and the Oscar blues uh, and Odell's in, in their early days, but to breweries around the country, uh, like Russian river and, and, um, you know, Fremont's and uh, Firestone Walker, uh, that, that people may or may not have, have known about either. So without them, I don't know that Denver's beer culture and beer scene would, um, would have been the same as it is now. Um, in the end they were uh, a little bit overwhelmed by a lot of uh, you know things that were going on in their neighborhood um but also the beer scene was changing really yeah. quickly around them and people's interests the kinds of beers that people wanted to drink um falling rock didn't didn't change as quickly uh or didn't want to as uh, as the beer scene around it so you couldn't go to falling rock in the in the later days and find um you know the the New England style IPAs, um, the the trendy, the smoothie sours, the things like that, because Chris was wanted to stick with what with what he believed in, um, and so um, you know a little of that, uh, uh, you know that was a little bit part of of, um, of what washed away there.
1: I was going to chime in too. I I think one of the more incredible elements to speak to how iconic that you know Falling Rock was to the beer scene. Uh, when they when they announced that they were closing, uh, it be, kind of became a pilgrimage of, of some of the who's who um, throughout the country of of beer, you know, celebrities who lined up and fl- flew out and lined up for their 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 closing weekend. Um, you know, you saw Vinny and Natalie from Russian River in line with uh, Patrick Rue and, uh, you know, your your partner and John Hall, you know, you, you saw some of the most iconic people that you knew from beer all flying out within a day's notice just to kind of show their support for what Chris had created over the years. So I thought that was pretty incredible. And, and it's probably unlikely that we'll ever see anything like that ever again in, um, you know, just how storied
0: uh, that that beer bar was. Yeah, I'm still kicking myself for not for not. I thought that John was kidding when he said he was going out there. He wasn't very clear about it. He was like, yeah, I'm going out to Falling Rock. I was like, oh, haha." Ha. But uh, I had a couple of young kids at home, but I would have even probably, you know, abandoned them on short notice had <laughs> I had I thought that he was actually serious about it. And the next thing I know, I'm getting text photos of him with Vinny and Joe Stang and all these beer writers. And I, I, that is a, I did not get to go and say goodbye. And I will that will be something that will haunt me for a while. So, you know, pouring one out for for Falling Rock and it'll be weird to be in Denver and walk by the space and, and, and not see it there. But as Tristan was saying, you know, one of the things about Falling Rock was that it was the home for out-of-towners during GABF. And GABF is one of those, you know, it is it is one of the largest beer events in the world. It is certainly singular in the United States. Uh, Jonathan, you know, how has that fest developed over the years? Um, and you know, what is it, you know, sort of, what is it like today? And eventually you know, what sort of approach do you recommend people take if they're, if they're coming in for a GABF and how to get, you know, out of the most out of visiting Denver during that time, or also just trying to keep their wits about them at the event. Right. It's, it can be a challenge and, uh, obviously it hasn't uh, taken place
2: for, for three years. Um, so, uh, what people are interested in, what they're interested in drinking, what they're interested in doing, how they're interested in attending events—I think has changed a lot in, that, in those three years. Um, in part because of the pandemic, and in part because of um, just the, the way that um, the, the way that craft beer itself has changed a little bit. So, people coming into town right now—you uh, know—it'll be interesting to see where they meet um, and where they where they want to go first. Um, what will be their first stop? There are a few places. Uh, where they might head, um, uh, hops and pie that Tristan mentioned earlier on Tennyson Street is um, is a favorite. It is not close to downtown, um, though, so you know you have to you have to make your way over there. Um, Bierstadt Lagerhouse uh, has uh, perhaps become the the first stop for a lot of people when they come into town. It's it's big there's a good chance you're going to find, uh, the owners hanging out there drinking a beer. Yep. There's a good chance, um, during, uh, during a big beer event in Denver, like GABF, that you're going to see other people there who, you know, and who you recognize, uh, it's in river north. It's close to other breweries. And, um, my feeling is that that is going to be for the most part, people's first stop when, when they come to town. Um, but you're right. Uh, um, Falling Rock is gone, Fresh Craft is gone, Euclid Hall, which was a very popular place, is gone. Um, so uh, to attack Denver, you kind of have to, uh, it, it's it's sort of similar to, to attacking the festival itself. You sort of have to know what you're, you got to do a little bit of research maybe before you go in. See what it is you're interested in, uh, what beers you're interested in drinking, maybe what neighborhood you're interested in going on, going to try to focus on on. You know one or two particular things, um, because there are all the neighborhoods that we've talked about uh, here, just like when you walk into the festival, there are so many regions of the country um, and so many different breweries um, uh, so many different breweries that you could that you could try out. So um, deciding on maybe what, whether you want to see the newest brewer, uh, breweries in Denver, or deciding if you want to try certain styles or certain vibes, um that's uh that's how i would attack denver the festival itself is going to be smaller than it's been they still haven't sold all their tickets uh and i think people are uh you know i think there's a little bit of uh fatigue when it comes to the great american beer festival uh it is huge it can be difficult and overwhelming to be in and it hasn't changed very much in years so um it'll be interesting to see what
0: happens this year we'll be right back with more beer Travelers after a message from our sponsors. Stop living vicariously through other people's social media posts and get out and make some memories of your own. Join Pub Culture Beer for one of our upcoming tours and start exploring the world one pint at a time with us. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. Want more beer for your ears? The new All About Beer podcast, hosted by M. Sauter and Don Tess, takes a deep, engaging dive into the hottest topics in beer. Do you need to know what the heck a cold IPA is? Check out the first episode wherever you get your pods. New episodes drop every other Thursday. And now, back to Beer Travelers. Tristan, your site, one of the things that it's known for is doing great fest guides and fest previews and, and what beers to try. Um, how would you recommend folks tackle something like the the GABF?
1: Yeah, you know, when we first launched the website um, over 10 years ago, it really felt like GABF was the, the super bowl for craft beer. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I, in, in that first year that we launched porch drinking, um, you know, I, I applied for a media credential, just thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool for one day to, to be able to attend, uh, GABF as a press member. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to, in that very first year to be approved for a credential. So, uh, ever since then we were like, you know what, they were kind enough to trust us uh, to to have this opportunity. So we're going to try to go as big as we possibly can in our coverage. And so um, back then the BA uh, didn't release their pour list for GABF until uh, the, the week of the fest. And so we, we actually reached out to as many breweries as we possibly could to find out what they were pouring. Um, I think by our fourth or fifth year, we were close to 70% in response rate. And with that information, um, we put together guided routes based on different styles. Um, and it, it's a tradition that we continue to this day. So um, one of the things that I, I highly recommend is checking out porch drinking because we'll put together guided routes for people who love seeking out the best loggers at the festival or best barrel aged stouts or hobby beers, historic beers. And so um, you know, it's a, it's a great way to help you to navigate Based on your style preferences, um, you know uh, the other thing that I that we also put a lot of emphasis on is uh, showcasing some of the best external events that are happening around the city of Denver or you know the the, the front range of Colorado and as a whole. Um, you know, I think one of the cool things about GABF being such a spectacle that it is is that it also unites um, the the local craft beer scene to put on external events. Um, you know. Denver Rare Beer Tasting is is one of those iconic ones that has uh you know oh has taken place uh, in the week of GABF, uh, bringing in you know very rare breweries that aren't typically available at GABF and all supporting an incredible cause. Um and uh you know Rick Lake has has put together an incredible program there and we. You know, it took inspiration from Denver rare beer, rare beer tasting and what Crooked Stave used to put on in their festival, and this year we're actually hosting Porch Drinkings' tenth anniversary beer fest the the Wednesday. Prior to GABF, and so um, you know, again, we're bringing in some some really incredible breweries that aren't pouring at the festival. Um, we're showcasing some of the incredible breweries here locally that you know are bringing some of their rarest beers um, that aren't that aren't going to be available at their festival, and sometimes aren't even available in their tasting rooms. Um, so. You know, all of that is, once again, going to be benefiting an incredible cause in um, Youth on Record, but also the, the launch of Porch Drinking's Mental Health Fund. So um, lots of cool stuff to, to take in all around GABF um, and also outside the festival itself.
0: So I think we're going to move into a bit of a what I guess I call a rapid fire or lightning round. Just, you know, some quick questions, off-the-cuff answers, just sort of the first things that come to your mind. There's no right or no wrong. Uh, both of you know the city so well. Uh, you know, there may be some overlap, but feel free to, you know, offer some other ideas, but, you know, we'll start with, uh, you know, Tristan here, you know, what are the top three local breweries for, for hop heads for people who are looking either for Hayes or West coast, you know, where, where would you direct them, uh, in town ta- if they're coming to town for that?
1: Yeah. Uh, the first one that really comes to mind is Comrade. I know that's a favorite of Shikes as well. Um, they, uh, put together some of the best fresh hop beers, um, their, uh, their beers consistently win at GABF for within the hop category. Uh, Similarly, Cannonball Creek, which is right outside of the city, um, they win for both lagers and hoppy beers. Um, Trump Hands being a session IPA that is super iconic, um, and has won many awards as well. Um, So I think those two a newer one that comes to mind is uh, Westbound and Down, which is located in Idaho Springs. But they just recently opened up a location in Lafayette, Colorado, called Westbound the Mill. Uh, and for those who are coming into town for GABF this year, they're actually uh, they actually have a pop up tap room um, right downtown uh, uh, in uh, Milk Milk Market, um, so you can try all sorts of unique Westbound beers. In that location, and and they do all sorts of really cool collaborations with some of the best hoppy beer producers from around the country. I know they recently just uh, released one with Pizza Port, so uh, it's their uh, Western Conference All Stars, which sh- which features uh, West Coast IPA producers in collaborations with Westbound and Down.
0: Jonathan, what would you what would you you know suggest beyond that? Um, beyond that, you know,
2: um, uh, Cerebral Brewing is is a favorite um, is a favorite of mine. It's also the the closest brewery to my house. Nice. Um, they they make some they make some terrific beers there. Um, if you're if you know if you are cruising around, um, New Image um, Brewing, which is uh, in the Nevada suburbs, also does some terrific, uh, primarily New England style. IPAs, they are uh, they are truly over the top with with a lot of them, and and they're they can be fun to drink. Um, uh, Heading out to um, Tristan mentioned uh, Cannibal Creek. On the way out to Cannibal Creek, um, there's a a brewery, a little brewery called Coda, um, which I have a lot of fun um, uh, with uh, trying out their stuff. Um, uh, The uh, uh, the guy behind Coda is um, uh, is is a real innovative, uh, creative brewer.
0: And Jonathan, we'll stick with you for this one. What are the top three breweries for lager? I'm not going to start with with Beerstat because that's what everybody that what everybody starts with. I thought for um, sure that was where this was going to go. It was such a softball, but I love that you're I love that you're like you're you're going a different direction.
2: Going a different direction. I mean, clearly that's you know, that's a first stop and and an obvious one for for a lot of folks. Um, you know, the brewery that people have been talking about and, and Tristan can probably guess what I'm gonna say next is is uh is cohesion uh brewing which uh has just is only been open for about a year now a little over a year i think and uh, they do check style lagers um with the lucre faucets and they do foamy uh malico pours and um it is just a it's just a fantastic spot that i have been to uh way too many times um for drinking uh milk shots um and and uh uh, another fun, uh, Czech style beers. And,
0: and, um, and for those who don't know, and this is, the, you know, I I'm in Boston, so I go to notch, you know, pretty frequently. There are some of the earlier ones getting, getting under the lucre faucet and maybe the first one in the, in the States, uh, and with the, the different size pours, what is the milk shot?
2: <laughs> so my understanding is that, um, in the Czech Republic, uh, there are three ways that you can order mm-hmm. beer. And it is, um, you can order, uh, uh, beer with just, a uh, you know, a normal amount of foam. You can get a um, beer with a half amount of foam, or you can get the entire Stein full of foam. Um, but if you don't want to do that, um, at, uh, at cohesion, which, which tries to follow those Czech traditions really, really closely, you can just get, uh, a shot of foam and they report for <laughs> you. And it is, uh, it is, you know, it's creamy, it's milky. You just take it down and, and, uh, you know, I've gotten, I've bought phone um, uh, uh, shots for for the people I'm with whenever I go, because it's just a lot of fun and they look at you a little weird, but
0: it's, like, the- it's got to be a hell of a lot better than that. I don't know if you've had a Maliko pour, but it is essentially like, it's like a beer related, like water torture. Uh, it, is, it is it is not a pleasant experience as you try to chug down all that massive body. It's a fun experience, but wow, it may, leaves you feeling terrible. I think I I like Denver's innovation on on, on the Czech tradition with <laughs> with the beer shot. That sounds a little more palatable.
2: Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. They're they're one of my favorite things to do. And and um, the you know a third spot for loggers and maybe one that um, uh, you know maybe people don't immediately think of loggers when they think of true brewing, but um, but I do because they're uh, I just I just love the loggers that they're they're churning out there. That's the the heavy metal brewery on South Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, uh, they do a lot of wild ales. They do some, some, some real great IPAs, but their, their lager program to me is, um, is one of my, one of my favorites in town.
0: And Tristan, where are you, where are you going for lager? Obviously nobody wants to go to Bierstadt because everybody goes to Bierstadt. So, you know, we'll, we'll do And I think we can talk about Bierstadt in a minute because it is its own, it's its own experience, but where, what three places would you recommend?
1: Yeah. I mean, Bierstadt is, is, First and foremost, always number one for me, Uh, I think Shikes hit it on the head with cohesion. Um, You know, they're one of my favorites and and really, you know, for being just about a year old, it's it's crazy how quickly they've um, become one of the top producers in the area. You know, similarly, staying along the Czech style uh, lager route, I think Wild Provisions, which is known also for wilds and sours, uh, they're they're also dedicated to producing Czech style loggers, and they do a tremendous job in that style. Um, we also have uh, Zwy Brewing up in Fort Collins, which does an incredible job. Uh, Seedstock here, locally in Denver, um, focuses on kind of traditional historic styles as a whole, which means that they do a tremendous job with their um, with their loggers. Um, you know, one kind of little bit of a of a sleeper. Um, is uh, Fritz Family Brewers, which is also newer. Um, they're just outside of uh, the Boulder area, and and similarly, Wibby Brewing out there um, does a tremendous job with lagers. And um, you know, I think I think you you're like kind of what Shikes mentioned in True Brewing. You're seeing a lot of just tremendous overall producers of of a wide breadth of styles that have really focused in on lagers as of recently. Um, you know, New Image. Uh, in addition to kind of really innovative approaches towards hoppy beers, um, as you mentioned in the previous category, they produce some killer loggers nowadays. Um, you're also seeing that, uh, it, you know, in uh, a number of different ways here. Um, in in kind of you know what dedicated kind of wider breadth of producers that now do some incredible loggers and in, in cerebral and and uh, weld and. Um, yeah, I think it people and also knotted root as well. So, uh, you know, you're really seeing brewers who love that crisp, clean style, um, love drinking that themselves. They're like, hey, well, you know, if I love drinking it so much, uh, even though I traditionally have, have focused in on other styles, I, I also want to produce lager so that myself and the rest of my staff can enjoy it, too.
0: Tristan is sitting here destroying the idea of a lightning round, but he's just basically naming every lager producer in the Denver area. But you know what? (laughs) This is that kind of podcast. This is a safe zone for lager lovers. So I'll I'll allow it. That, that works for me. Oh, and also
1: I would be remiss not to mention novel strand, you know, they're, they're located in that Broadway neighborhood. And similarly, you know, they do a tremendous job with hoppy beers. Um, but they've really kind of, uh, come under the wing of, of Ashley over at beerstadt and, and honed in on their, their lager program as well. So Novel Strand might be uh, the biggest kind of under the radar brewery that I think if people are coming into town, you should absolutely check out their, uh, their, their brewery as a whole.
0: Jonathan, what's the one place people should go for sour or barrel aged beer?
2: Oh boy. That's a good question. You know um, we lost our, we lost one of our best, uh, producers of, uh, of sour beer here just recently. Yeah. Uh, Project Wild and spontaneous sales. Um, they, you know, they made some, some amazing stuff. Um, the grand, you know, the, the, I guess the, the grandfather of, of sour beers here in town is probably Crooked Stave. Um, they do a lot fewer, uh, sours than, than, than they used to. They, they've, uh, uh, their clean beer program has, has taken off quite significantly recently. Um, uh, and I'm also destroying the, the concept of a lightning round. <laughs> because, uh, you know, part of it, when I think about sour beers, I, I don't even, I, you know, I mean, traditional sour beers aren't being made less and less and kind of tart, uh, you know, tart beers are, are mm. what people are calling sours now. And, and everybody makes those, um, or a lot of people do, but, um, you know, Crooked Stave and Shrew make some some terrific sour beers uh, for barrel Edge beers, uh, River North. Um, is is um, you know might be my favorite spot in town River North brewery um, not to be confused with the neighborhood they do some some huge clean um, barrel aged stouts and porters that uh, and barley wines that uh, that blow my mind all the time
0: Tristan where are you going for for sour or tart beer as Jonathan said and and or and barrel beer
1: Yeah wild well, provisions up in Boulder is is one of the the sleeper ones for for that style uh, Crooked Stave, obviously as uh, Jonathan mentioned before. Um, and, and I think one sleeper in Denver that does a, a tremendous job, it's a smaller program, is Bayer Brewing um, out on Broadway. I think they do some really, really killer stuff and uh, don't get as much love as, as they typically should. They're right down the street from True Brewing, um, which also is just so prolific in the style. So you could hit both of those up right in the Broadway neighborhood.
0: And this is a question I was actually going to, it's a good transition here. Thank you, Tristan. Uh, you know, Jonathan, what is one great place that, you know, one great brewery that doesn't get enough attention or is flying under the radar?
2: Flying under the radar. Um, uh, the, the brewery that, um, that Tristan mentioned earlier, um, novel strand, uh, it flies under the radar quite a bit. It's, it's, a it's a pretty neat spot. Um, there are some younger breweries that, uh, that are having some fun, not just with their beer, but with, um, with community a little bit. And, um, you know, I think, um, two of them that I, that come to mind that are worth checking out are are a new one called Wagwan, um, which has a Jamaican theme to it. They do some fun things with um, some tropical fruits and some, some other, uh, some other interesting flavors. Um, and uh, the other one is Raisis, um, which uh, is um, uh, which brings together Latino community um, people with backgrounds from from a wide variety of countries um, uh, into some terrific beers. There, head brewer there worked for Dry Dock for a really long time, and I think he turns out some beers um, quite very quietly. Uh, that are, that are pretty good. And the the spot itself across from Mile High Stadium where the Broncos play is, is, um, is just a really fun place to hang out as well.
0: Tristan, what place deserves a second look? A place that maybe has been open for a while people maybe have, you know, haven't been to, but is, is doing great things that, you know, people should, should, you know, take another, take another, you know, shot at.
1: Um, You know, I think we have a little bit of a different perspective since we, you know, are local to Denver. So I think our perception might be a little changed. But for locals, uh, to me, Crooked Stave is one that maybe has been around for a little while. People, I think, have shifted away from sour beers a little bit more. And so it might not come to mind because they were so known for so long as only producing sour beers. But their barrel-aged clean program is actually one of the most impressive that I've seen as of late um, for barrel-aged stouts that are completely clean. Um, They've also branched out into some hobby beers, some lagers. And so I think overall, they've kind of evolved the most uh, out of the the breweries that have been around for a little while.
0: Jonathan, and I'll just prepare you both. I'll ask you both this one. Are there any breweries that you think sort of need to step up their games or have been slacking? (laughs) We're not always nice on this podcast. Sometimes, sometimes sometimes we ask some tougher questions because that's the thing. If you're coming into town nowadays and you're trying to do research, it's really difficult to determine, you know, what's a good place to go to and what's not. And this is the context for it. I, you know, whenever I'm traveling into a new city or a city I haven't been to in a while and I go on Google maps, every brewery has 4.8 or 4.9 stars, it's not even remotely helpful. Uh, so it's good to have experts who can say, you know, you know these are not places that are necessarily bad or making bad beer, but just a place that you know folks maybe they just need to to step it up or they just haven't haven't quite been getting it done. I know this doesn't always make friends, but try to give you buy you a little time there. Right. <laughs> Thanks for for buying me time and I'm I'm going through in my head
2: and trying to think of breweries that maybe have been, more disappointing to me lately um and i'm i'm trying to i'm i'm actually having a hard time thinking uh you know i mean this is probably this is not a fair answer um probably uh but uh because it's an easy it's an easy target but oscar blues which is here i when when they had a, every time they had a new release it was a must buy for me um i i had to try it that everything that they did was was so different I haven't, you know, I don't, I just, I I know they've had a bunch of new releases recently, but I haven't paid attention. Um, And it's not because the the brewery, the brewers have changed. uh, And it's not because they were bought by Monster. Um, I just, uh, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe... um, you know, the things I have tried are just, they sort of fall into the, the middle of the pack these days. Um, so that might be an easy, that might be an easy uh, way out of that question for me, but
1: that's, uh, that's what I thought of.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Tristan. Uh,
1: for me, it'd probably be Tivoli. Um, you know, they, the brand itself is one of the oldest in the state. And I, you know, in reading Jonathan's book, you know, it's incredible the history that they have brought to the city's craft beer scene and and you know being one of the oldest breweries in colorado um you know i think as of late uh it's it most of the beers they put out including and and i think the biggest example of this is their release of outlaw um probably the most underwhelming lager that i've had as of late and and it's really unfortunate for such an iconic brand to to go that route of of putting out this light lager that really just doesn't have much complexity to it at all. So um, I think Tivoli is probably the one for me that, uh, that I feel I could step, step it up
0: a little bit more. And then this is difficult in a different direction, but if there were only three places that you, you could go to Tristan, you know, three breweries in the city, where, what were the, those three be? What's the top three for Tristan? Oh man, this is, this, so this one's awkward. almost, this one's almost worse. <laughs> Yeah, it's like trying to choose your favorite child, right? Um that's funny because people said that on the last podcast. And I can say having two children, I definitely have a favorite. So I'm just <laughs> saying it, it can be done. They don't listen to this podcast, so it'll be fine. Oh, geez. Uh,
1: I would definitely say Beer Stat Lagerhouse. Um, you know, I think that they've just they're one of the breweries that every single beer that they release is absolutely incredibly done and, and nearly flawless. So I think Bierstadt is is on the top of my list. Um, from there, I would also say uh, maybe our mutual friend, uh, Brewing. That's one that we haven't really
0: mentioned before. But Yeah, I was surprised that one hadn't come up yet. So I'm glad that you're talking about it.
1: Yeah, they, they're they one of the breweries that I also think has had the biggest evolution in terms of, you know, I think their their owners would admit that when they first launched, uh, they, they released beers that wouldn't be able to survive in today's market, um, but they've elevated their game so incredibly over the, the last five years that they're now truly a top contender. Um, and then, you know, one that is kind of cheating uh, in that you, you really can't get much of their beer. Um, but, you know, in a lot of the, the festivals that are, the, the ancillary festivals that are taking place around GABF, um, including ours and Denver Rear Beer Tasting, you'll be able to find them as Amalgam. Um, it's started by Phil Joyce, who's now also uh, a brewer at uh, Ratio Beer Works, but they focus in on an incredible barrel-aged program, uh, both sours and, and clean. Um, but the, it, it's really a membership brewery uh, primarily, and they also do uh, occasional releases to the public, but uh, their beer is some of the best in the entire state.
0: Jonathan, for you, top three.
2: Boy, uh, that, that is a hard question. Um, I, you know, maybe I can do it by the breweries that I go to the most, um, because those, you know, maybe those, uh, maybe those are my top three, but, um, uh, uh to just stay with the theme cohesion is just a place where I, I can't quite stay away from, uh, and, um, Cerebral is another one that just um, you know just sort of wow[s] me every time I go in there. Um, they have a also have a fooder logger fooder aged logger program that's 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 really cool there. Um, you know I mentioned uh, River North already. Um, you know Ratio I think has has put itself into a position where um, it's a uh, you know it's just absolutely an essential place in town. Um, they have two locations now, one in South Denver, one in Rhino, um, they continue to make, um, many of the same stellar beers that they've made for a long time. Um, you know what you're going to get. They're awesome. Their, uh, their GAB, GABF metal count has, uh, has risen here recently, um, uh, as they continue to, to do a good job and, I'm you know, looking forward to seeing, um, if they are going to start on a small level with some innovation uh, going forward with the, the, their new head brewer that uh, Tristan uh, just mentioned, Phil, Phil Joyce.
0: So there are two breweries that I want to sort of, we're getting close to the end here. I want to kind of close out with uh, one that we've talked about and one that we haven't. So let's start with the one that we've talked about you I'm just interested in getting both of your perspectives on, on Bierstadt. And, you know, it's one that we've talked about around the edges a little bit here, but it has, as I think Tristan said, kind of become, you that central, that central place, that place where, when I came into town for the first, you know, for the first time in a while I'm heading there and I'm getting a slow, pour pills, which has kind of helped, you know, change the face of lager in this country along with places like notch and some others. Um, You know, Tristan, what is it about, you know, what is it about Beerstadt? Why is it so popular? Is it popular with locals as well? Is it just in the mind frame of, of those of us who are, you know, beer writers from around the world and around the country or brewers? What is it about the place?
1: Yeah, I think a number of different factors contribute to it. Um, first and foremost, you know, the beer industry loves drinking lagers. And I think. You know, they did not skimp at all in how they built out that brewery. They flew in an actual German brew system and their attention to detail in crafting, you know, thoughtful, uh, you know, time focused loggers that, that truly take a lot of time to produce. Uh, they don't skimp on any of the the processes uh, and, and, you know, double, triple decoction styles, uh, or, or, sorry, double, triple deco- decoction technique uh, for their loggers. You know, they, they really put in the time, uh, the effort, the quality ingredients um, to really produce s- truly some of the best loggers in the world. Uh, in addition to that, the space and location uh, play to their advantage as well. They're in one of the hottest brewery neighborhoods in, in the Rhino Art District, but
0: also that space is massive uh, and, and they utilize it well. Uh, kind they of have a, They have like a full scale wrestling ring in there. It's, it's <laughs> like I don't even understand what's going on in there.
1: Yeah, during during kind of regular operating hours, they have like adult-sized uh, cornhole. Um, they have a giant beer pong. So it, they they have a lot of activities that engage you know the just everyday drinker, not not necessarily even beer drinkers, but people who just love love to have a good time. Uh, and so you know it, it reminds me a little bit of how Rheingeist developed out in Cincinnati. They had a massive warehouse space. I remember when they first opened, they were able to hold full Full-blown wiffle ball leagues in their in their tap room, and so um, very similarly, Beerstadt utilizes their space well. They have tremendous beers. They're located in a great neighborhood, and the style itself is very conducive to to you know tradi- traditional beer drinkers.
0: Jonathan, what is it about Beerstadt? Why why can't people seem to get enough? <laughs> um, boy, they have a bullheaded uh, dedication to
2: what it is that they do, and they do you know, they like to do the same thing every time. And, and, you know, they're not, they're not pushing out a huge number of, of different beers. They're just dialing in and maybe, you know, I guess they've already done that. I'm sure they're all, I'm sure they would probably say that they're always working to dial it in, you know, even further. Um, one of the things, you know, about, about, um, beer stat is the theater that goes on there as well. I mean, the slow pour pills, um, that's, you know, that's a little bit of theater. You have to wait for your beer. Uh, you have, the way it looks is just spectacular. Um, you know, a giant pile of foam on top of this slender glass. Um, you can see the bubbles rising. You can see right through it. Uh, the, and, you know, forcing the anticipation of, of having to wait for it. So, um, you know, there's some of that that goes with it. If you get a crawler to go of the Pilsner, it's not going to be the same experience as, as, as drinking it there. Um, so I I think that's another aspect of it that that really lends, um, uh, to the experience of, of why people go there. I, I, myself, I, I got married there. I had my wedding reception (laughs) right after it opened. So, um, you know, I'm a little biased in in that sense as well.
0: That is great. One place that we has not come up and I'm not terribly surprised it hasn't come up, but I think it, it might make for a, hopefully a short but interesting discussion is Sandlot. Uh, This is a brewery that I have, you know, a a, a kind of a long relationship with dating back, you know, quite some time, just in the sense that, you know, this is the place that for those that don't know, it's it's a small brewery, kind of a test brewery as part of, you know, Coors um, that is built right into the side of literally Coors Field. Uh, And it's a place where, you know, they had, you know, Blue Moon was was developed um, and, and, and process and, and eventually, you know, and, and brewed for some period of time in terms of testing. But I think my relationship with them relates more to their logger program. And this is a place that has won a ton of GABF medals over the years, maybe less so in recent years. And I don't really know what the status of things is there now, but it's a place that I always thought flew very far under the radar, but the beer was always really good, especially on the logger side. Um, what you know? What's your impressions of of uh, of Sandlot and, and sort of where it stands today? I guess we can start with start with Jonathan.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, a fascinating place um, that was built in 1995 in, in an historic warehouse that they incorporated into the architecture of the park. There, um, the guys who. Uh, brewed there for the majority of its of its existence have been they were the same uh, they were the same couple of guys um, Tom and and John Lignard yep. um, uh, John uh, moved over to um, well the Sandlot is actually technically I mean it's called the Sandlot but it's also Blue Moon Brewery and he moved over to their their other facility but um, those guys they work down in a basement underneath the you know underneath the brewery and they turn out um, some fantastic lagers that aren't really available. You can go in and you can get them sometimes in the sand lot during a game. Uh, but you can't find them in the rest of the stadium. Right. Uh, you can find their, their standards that the, the things that they put out, um, and they may have their right field red or some of the other, um, uh, beers that they, that they turn out. But the, the, the really carefully crafted lagers that they do are really hard to get, you know, they're really hard to get a hold of, um, people in the industry can go in there and get a tour and, uh, you can even get a, I forget what they call it, the uh, half and half, which is like a Bach and a Hellas, I think mm-hmm. that they mix together something like that, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, yeah, they won uh, upwards of 45 battles over the years. And one of the reasons they haven't recently is just because, um, Coors, which owns them has to, uh, has to choose which breweries it's going to enter into the great American beer festival yep. now and they don't always get picked. So otherwise I think they would, you know, continue to win awards for primarily their German style lagers and, and a few, and a few ales, but yeah, there, it's a very unusual, very special place in there.
0: Tristan, how about you? What's your relationship with and, and experience and an opinion of Sandlot?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Jonathan covered most of it, but you know, Prior to, you know, Field's willingness to bring in other craft beers, that was kind of the one spot that you could go to to truly enjoy some unique uh, special craft beers during a baseball game. You know, I, now, I know that uh, now since they've actually opened up a Blue Moon Rhino location, Um, that tradition kind of continues on uh, within a larger scale uh, at their, their rhino tap room for blue moon. And uh, you know, again, under the radar in the fact that, you know, people often over, you know, overlook the fact that blue moon is, they they think of blue moon as just this, you know, citrus wheat ale, but they are producing some truly incredible beers um, at that rhino location as well.
0: Jonathan, Tristan, we have covered a lot of ground in just under an hour, actually. So we tried to tried to stay stay under that. Uh, but this is great, and it really has. You know, I've been taking a lot of notes. I'm definitely going back and listening to this before I come to town in a couple of weeks. And I'm I'm just very excited to you know reengage with you know this incredibly vibrant beer scene that that both of you have contributed so much to. You know, with your words and your writing. Where can people find you both online, Jonathan, and where and your work? Um, I am
2: uh, now, after many, many years at Westward, I am at uh, denverpost.com, which is where uh, my beer stories are. I I share uh, that beat now with with a colleague, um, uh, Tini Ricciardi, who who also writes beer for Denver Post. uh, um, And uh, you can also find uh, my book at the the Catter Cover or Barnes & Noble or uh, other places like that.
0: And for those who didn't know, because I don't know if we pitched it, it was Denver Beer, A History of Mile High Brewing. So get out there and and buy that one. Uh, And you're online at, what's your online handles? Um, It's uh, Colo
2: Beer Man, primarily C-O-L-O Beer Man um, on Twitter and Instagram and
0: uh, Colorado Beer Man on on Facebook. Tristan, let's promote you as well. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, we're over at porchdrinking.com and uh, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at at porchdrinkingco.
0: Well, thank you both. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Beer Travelers Podcast. If you have a suggestion for a town we should visit next, please drop us a line at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Please give our podcast a review wherever you listen. It really helps folks find out about us. And if you like the episode, tell a friend and post on your socials. Interested in learning more about connecting with an engaged, energetic, and interested audience of curious beer consumers and brewers? We have many different advertising opportunities, including through our podcasts, website, newsletter. And social media channels. For more information, please contact us at podcast at allaboutbeer.com. When you finish exploring all that Tristan and Jonathan suggest, here's my personal favorite spot in Denver. You need to stop by the Brown Palace Hotel's Ship Tavern for a nightcap. The Italian Renaissance-style hotel is a Denver icon, built in the 1800s, and the bar dates to just after Prohibition. The Ship Tavern features a complete mast and crow's nest, beautiful murals, and a collection of sailing ship models that belong to a former owner. Live piano music and sing-alongs some evenings. It's a place to take in an older era of the city, and they even have some great local beer on draft. The Ship Tavern is where I end every trip to Denver. Stop living vicariously through other people's social media posts, and get out and make some memories of your own. Join Pub Culture beer for one of our upcoming tours, and start exploring the world one pint at a time with us. Visit pubculturebeercations.com for more information. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts.